Open your Bibles to John chapter 1, page 886 in the Pew Bible. And if you would like to go ahead and put your finger or your thumb in John chapter 13, page 900... We're going to skip around some in John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. And I wish I could go through all of that in detail, but alas, that isn't my topic today. Does everybody have one of these? You should have gotten one when you came in. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Kevin's over here. He's got some. He'll give you one. Keep your hands up. Looks like we missed a lot of you. We want everybody to have this, not because it's great artwork or great writing, but we want everybody to have this. Are you out, Kevin? I'm sorry. Wow. Those evil first service people (laughs) took everything. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I just wanted to make sure that everybody had it now so that we didn't have to worry about that. during the sermon. My name is Matt Duransky. I am the elder for adult education and discipleship. And uh, I have to start by confessing that uh, there are dozens of of, uh, English translations of the Bible. uh, And I'm pretty sure that if you look in most of them, if not all of them, you will not see the word discipleship. That's a uh, <clears throat> English translation of, of a word that we'll talk about in a minute. But I want us to understand that. And it has been adopted into our vernacular. And in sometimes it's used in the church in an ambiguous way. So I'll spend a little bit of time sorting through the ambiguity. But that's not my main point uh, today, as you'll see. So before we launch out, let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we love you, we praise you, you are so good. It just boggles my mind that you have chosen to work through us. It's amazing, Lord. And that you have not just cast us off, but that you have given us God the Holy Spirit to empower us, to indwell, to infill us. And I thank you that God the Holy Spirit is here in this room today, and I pray that he will penetrate every single heart here today and that every single person here today will leave knowing you better and loving you more. We only can come to you in the powerful and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And we pray asking these things in his name. Amen. So, discipleship. Let's see, where did I put that clicker? There it is. You don't come to church for very long. Uh, A Christian church, read the Bible for very long. Uh, read books about the Bible for very long until you come across Matthew 28. How many people have seen Matthew 28, 18 through 20 before? Raise your hand. Probably all seen it before, I would imagine. This is what Jesus told his followers who were called disciples And if you look at verse 16, which preceded that, it says that his disciples met him on a mountain. And that disciple word is methetes. It actually uh, has the same uh, Greek root word that we get math from. I don't want to scare you, so don't tune me out yet. We're not going to have any math here. We will have some numbers later, but not much math. Um, And so we get to this portion Where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. And the word there is methetuo. And and you could literally, if you translate methetes as disciple, a noun, a person, 
then Matthew 2.0 is discipleize. If you were going to be faithful to uh, the, the translation, but discipleize probably didn't sound good. If you go to King James, uh, the King James translators just kind of threw their hands up and said, teach. Because the implication of that mathetes is that a disciple is a learner. But it's not someone who sits in a didactic classroom and listens to somebody like me talking, 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 and, and they take notes. A disciple is someone who attaches themselves to someone else, they follow someone else, and they suck information out of them. They learn from them. So a disciple is a learner, but the idea of a biblical disciple is not just someone who goes to class. And we're going to talk about that, and if you have been thinking that way, then hopefully you'll be disabused of that line of thinking. So the word disciple does appear 260 plus times in most English translations of the Bible. And so we want to focus, however, on this issue of make disciples. A couple of years ago, almost to the day, uh, Pastor Walker was convicted about this. Uh, And he was convicted because God was saying, okay, are we doing this at Grace Church? And if so, how are we doing it? And if, if so, how do we know we're doing it? And if we're not doing it, how would we know that we're not doing it? And so <clears throat> uh, Bill started meeting with uh, Cedric Brown from Navigators. And then uh, six months later in the spring, they, uh, they drew me into this. And so uh, I've been going at this for a year and a half. <clears throat> and uh, we started... First of all, just taking the pulse of the church, talking to people, talking to small group leaders, looking at small groups, uh, looking at what different people were doing, uh, looking at people's church attendance habits, all of that, because this is something that Jesus told us to do. And not surprising, we look a lot like where the evangelical church in America has been going for a number of years. What does that mean? Well, there are a lot of folks who come here, and and by the way, I'm not here to condemn, because I have fallen into all of these traps at some point in my life as well. So, just saying. We have a lot of people that come here with a consumer mentality. You go to a play at the Kennedy Center, you're entertained, you drive home, you talk about the costumes, you talk about the lighting, you talk about the script, you talk about, wow, wasn't that fun, that was great, when are we going to go again? And you go and you sit there and you're entertained. In the case of church, wasn't that an ugly sweater vest that Matt was wearing today? Can you believe he said that? You know, the guy spits when he talks sometimes. Uh, you know, <clears throat> all of those kinds of things. And, and that's what the consumer mentality does. We come here and, and we're, we're entertained, you know. We, we don't even have to buy tickets. Uh, we come and we enjoy the show and we go home. <clears throat> that's, we found those people here. We found a lot, according to the Reveal survey, of cruise control lifestyle. We found a lot of people who said, you know, I've been doing this church thing for 20 or 25 years now. I'm saved by grace, not by works. God loves me. I am going to heaven. I'm putting my feet up on my desk and I'm going to phone it in. I have no responsibility. I have no calling. We saved that for the paid professionals. I've done my share. In some cases, we have... Some people that have been coming here a long time and they're basically saying, you know, I gave it the office. It's time for you to do for me. And they're on cruise control. Compartmentalized faith. I've got my Sunday clothes. I've got my Sunday Jesus speak. I've got my Sunday smile. I've got my Sunday hug. And that's it. It's Sunday. Totally different person, Monday through Saturday. No Jesus anywhere to be seen. 
My faith is compartmentalized. It doesn't apply to anything that I do. It doesn't apply to anything that I say, which leads to us being culturally indistinguishable. We're a called out people. Peter refers to us as a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God called us for a specific purpose, and this is a purpose. Make disciples. But we go home and we watch the same thing that unsaved people watch. We use the same vocabulary that unsaved people do. We argue with our spouse the way unsaved people do. And we're culturally indistinguishable. We're not salt. We're not light. We're culturally indistinguishable. Which means we're callous to our calling. What calling? This is not Dennis's calling. This is not Matt's calling. Now somebody told me I'm too angry for service. I'm passionate. If you feel like I'm angry, I'm not. I'm passionate. This is not Dennis's calling. Just Dennis's calling. This is not just Matt's calling. This is just not the elder's calling. This is your calling. This is the person's calling who's wearing your clothes right now. If you are saved, if you are a Christian, this is your calling. And that God that we just sang to, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He's the one. So that means I'm going to take this pretty seriously, I hope. We find a lot of people confused about the truth. And we're confused about the truth because you don't read this book. You don't take this seriously. This is holy. This is not just a book. Okay? This is different. This is God-breathed. This is given by the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit takes this and he uses this in your life because God the Holy Spirit indwells and infills you if you are a believer and he changes you. And he empowers you to do what Matthew 28 says. And so when the science world or the philosophy world or, or the self-help world starts to tell us stuff that might smell a little bit like the Bible, but not quite, we get sucked away because we're confused about the truth. All of that exists in our church. And as I said earlier, don't feel like I'm condemning you. If God's condemning you, then God's condemning you through me. But I do not have the power of condemnation. That's Jesus' job, okay? I do, not, I do not have that power. He's the one, ultimately, who will condemn and say, depart from me, I never knew you. I'm just preaching, just saying. So, we really had two tasks, and I'm going to have to speed up here. We really have two tasks. One of the tasks was to... Go study everything that the Bible has to say about a disciple and disciple making and discipleship and come up with one sentence that defines what a disciple looks like. And we had a group together and we worked on this study for two or three weeks. I don't know, Courtney, you were on the team probably three weeks. Uh, We worked on this study and then we got in a room and we argued about grammar and wording and all of that sort of thing. How many people notice that this is now printed above the doors where you come in out there? When you leave, turn around and look in the lobby above the glass doors here. This is printed. We're serious about this. And I hope that you will understand it. And I hope that it's something that all of us will aspire to. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit today. The second thing that we did is actually harder than the first thing of coming up with a sentence. The second thing, the second challenge that is before us is to establish an intentional culture in the church 
of discipleship. Establish an intentional culture at Grace Church Waldorf of discipleship. By the power of the Holy Spirit, be a culture of disciples making disciples to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what we aspire to be here. A culture by the power of the Holy Spirit making disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ. So the rest of our time together today, I want to talk about four aspects of this culture. Uh, And before I do this, I want to warn you because I warned the first service, but some people still didn't like it. I'm going to challenge you. I want you to be challenged. I have prayed, the elders have prayed that God the Holy Spirit would challenge you today. I want you to be challenged. And I'm going to challenge you at the end, and we're going to go through these four points. And then I'm going to ask you to make a decision. So just get yourself emotionally prepared if that's, if that's what it takes. Because we have been praying for the Holy Spirit to do that. <clears throat> so let's talk about these four aspects of an intentional culture of disciples making disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ. First of all, disciple making is God's work. He does it through us. When you are saved, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God the Holy Spirit invades your life. That's not too soft of a word. Because everything he does, he does without measure. He indwells and he infills. And we set off on a course of following him. And we get in his way and we do stupid things and we sin and we're called to confess and to repent and to get back on the road with him. And he doesn't just make us perfect from the beginning because it's all about this relationship and he wants this relationship. (laughs) Quite frankly, we sang it and and I've been praying this a lot in my own life lately. I want to be satisfied with Jesus. I can be satisfied with Jesus. And he wants us to be satisfied with him. And that's what this relationship is about. is us finding our satisfaction and ultimately our joy in him. So God in his divine brilliance, his omniscience, his, his omnipotence has said, I've called these people to make disciples And I'm going to do it through them. Sometimes it boggles my mind. That he would want to use me. A flawed, imperfect, sinful person. For the holy. I I can't. None of us really understand holy by the way. That's just a word we use. You don't know holy. I don't know holy. We don't know holy. But it's a word that helps us think about what it might be. God the Holy Spirit lives in me to work in and through me. If you're saved, God the Holy Spirit works in you. And he works in you to make disciples. Interesting thing is, is that God uses a relational model. And as we started to look at this, we understood that that Jesus did not use... And we started by looking at what did Jesus do. Jesus did not use a didactic model. He did not use a classroom model. He did not rent classrooms and call everybody from college. He didn't get a big megaphone and just yell down, okay, here's what I want you to do. Did he teach? Did he preach? Yes. But by far and away, if you study the scriptures, the bulk of Jesus' time was not spent teaching and preaching. It was spent walking on dirty, dusty, stinky roads with dirty, dusty, stinky people. Jesus followed a relational model. Let's look at John 1 and let's, let's, look, at, let's look at this for a minute. Because sometimes we read John 1, it's so beautiful. 
that we don't get this. Look at verse 11. He came to his own. That's a huge statement if you step back and you think about it. The perfect God-man left a perfect heaven to come to a sin-cursed earth to be with us. That's a relational model. He left the glories of heaven to come. He stooped. The language gets used elsewhere in scripture. He humbled himself in Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant. No less. All of that is relational talk, right? Are you with me? That's relational talk. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Relational. Then skip over to verse 35. When he sets out on his ministry, he's following a relational model. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. There's a relational word. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? There's some relational language. Where are you staying? Where do you hang? And he responded relationally. Come and you will see. Come on. Come to my place. Come to where I'm hanging. My doors are open. I'm, you're not going to hurt me. I want to connect with you. I want to be able to love you. And I can't really connect with you and love you unless I'm open to us being in each other's presence. It's a relational model. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed there with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon's brother. He first found his own brother. Now there's somebody that Jesus connected with. Going to find someone else so he can connect him with Jesus. There's a relational trail starting here. You got it? You with me? This is discipleship happening by the master, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it's a relational model. There ain't no teaching going on here other than through the connection and through the relationship. It's not a classroom. It's relational. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ, the one who was promised from God, the one who's going to save us. He brought him to Jesus. Those are relational words. He brought him to Jesus. Don't miss this. We tend to read all through this because we want to look at Jesus as a teacher. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said, Follow me. And on and on and on it goes. My namesake, Matthew. Jesus found him, slimy tax collector, said, follow me. Why my mother named me after a slimy tax collector, I don't know. But. <clears throat> so that's Jesus' model. But let me look at, let me, let me look at, let's look at something astonishing, if you will. Turn to John, turn to John chapter 16, page 902 in your pew Bible. This is an astonishing thing in scripture right here we're about to look at. I don't know, maybe maybe you're not as astonishable as I am, but this is pretty amazing. Look at verse 7 of chapter 16. Jesus, the God-man who left the glories of heaven, who lived on this earth and walked among sinners yet without sin, was tempted in every way such as we are, was going to die on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, for the sins of the whole world. And here's what he says in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Whoa! 
whoa, it's to our advantage that you go away? And then he, then, he, then he tells us why. For if I do not, the helper will not come to you. The helper is the Greek word parakletos. It gets translated helper, counselor, a lot of different things. And this is referring to God the Holy Spirit. And the best translation of it, quite frankly, is alongsider. A parakletos is someone who travels with you, who helps you, who defends you, who argues on your behalf, and from whom you will learn. A parakletos is someone who is there with their arm around you, with their arms around you. And what did Jesus say? It's to your advantage that he comes and that I go. Now, why is that so astounding? I hope you're already picking up on the fact that that's, that's astounding because that's what we have. That's who we have. We have the one who Jesus said, it's to your advantage if I go away and you get him. And the reason is because you can't, I can't, we can't do what we're called to do in Matthew 28. Make disciples without him working in and through us. Because it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody with me? You follow me? So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, first, when the Holy Spirit comes into me, he indwells me, he fills me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that, that he shows us the deep things of God. Okay, you can see what Jesus said elsewhere in John. Uh, he'll be with you forever. And the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. God the Holy Spirit wants to work in and through us as individuals and as a group. When you are indwelt and infilled by the Holy Spirit and you are indwelt and infilled by the Holy Spirit and you are indwelt and infilled by the Holy Spirit, we are all united in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, into a body, right? And it's called the body of the body of Christ, because that's the job of the Holy Spirit is to continue to reveal Jesus Christ to the world throughout the ages. So in you and in me, the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the character of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He struggles with me sometimes. But that's what he's doing. He has to keep knocking off the rough edges. And he has to keep knocking me down. Because I don't find my sufficiency in him sometimes. But he is in me forming the character of Christ. That's what he wants to do. That's his job and that's what I want him to do. And how does he do that? He does that by producing fruit. In your life. That's the metaphor that's used in the Bible. It's used here in the Gospel of John. And it's here. <clears throat> it's used in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. That's character, right? Whose character is it? It's the character of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be hanging on your tree so that the world can see Jesus. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And he's more than capable of doing it because he's God the Holy Spirit. And so the job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus Christ through us as individuals. I'm sorry. <clears throat> At least that's not a theological argument. <laughs> through, through, us as, through us as individuals and through us as a body. So as we apply this relational model, 
this alongside our model, what you're going to find out and what we want to see occur in the church here is that it's going to be less about teaching and more about learning and application. We're not going to be teaching any less. In fact, we may be teaching more here in the church. But we need to change our mindsets that this is the way that God wants us to make disciples is me talking to you and that's it. Because Jesus followed a relational model and he equipped us, he has equipped us to follow a relational model, an alongsider model. So there's a shift from hierarchical to relational. We have this vision of discipleship that's Obi-Wan Kenobi talking to the youngsters there and imparting wisdom. True discipleship, true making of disciples happens life on life. Is there a transfer of knowledge? Yes. Is transfer of knowledge important? Yes. We're still going to uphold God's word and we're still going to teach God's word. But the model that we are called to follow is a life-on-life relational model. Far more powerful and far more lasting impact than any sermon that I can preach is what happens when two or three believers get together and commit themselves to studying and applying God's word life on life throughout the course of their life. That is far more powerful and that is far more transformative. People come in here every week and far more eloquent speakers than me speak every week and people leave and they're still calloused. They're still indistinguishable from their culture. They're still indifferent about this. And part of that is because we haven't done a good job here of following the model. Here's one for you. An alongsider relational model is an amateur culture. The word amateur comes from the Latin word for lover. Because we've kind of abused this whole concept of discipleship, and because in some cases we've followed the wrong model, we've also led people to believe that this is a job for the pros. Lots of amateurs are highly skilled people and they do what they do out of love again that's where the word comes from Dennis does not do what he does for pay I've known the man for years I know that I know this we pay Dennis so that he can spend all of his time here working for us and working with us But Dennis does not do this for the pay. Dennis does it out of love for the Lord. Dennis's calling is no different than your calling. Please be disabused of any mindset that you have that Discipleship is for the trained professionals. God did not give you the Holy Spirit to cop that attitude. Jesus did not say, go and make disciples and then give you the Holy Spirit and empower and equip you. And as I'm arguing now, and model that and tell us to follow that so that we could sit back and we could put our feet up and say, Let's leave it to the pros. Your calling and Dennis's calling are the same calling to go and make disciples. Jewish boys, when they reach around the age of 13, they would select around, they would select the best and brightest to go sit under a rabbi to be trained to be a rabbi. Guess what? None of the 12 that Jesus picked were considered the best and the brightest. 
You can see this is at Pentecost. And it's talking about all of the people who were educated and all of the religious leaders. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and common men. And they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. When you follow Jesus, when God the Holy Spirit is forming the character of Christ in you, then your education is secondary. Maybe tertiary. Maybe further on, whatever the ordinal is after that. I'm not saying that education doesn't matter. I'm not saying that going to seminary doesn't matter. We have a responsibility to know and to grow. But certainly looking at this, we can't take education as an excuse, can we? I mean, I'm not a fisherman, but, uh, you know, Peter probably used some bad words. I was a sailor. I know they used bad words. I know that he probably didn't know all the great theology in the world but under the power of the Holy Spirit, he turned the world upside down. I can tell you that. <clears throat> Biblical discipleship is an amateur culture. Jesus invites you, Jesus invites me, in our weaknesses, to be his helpers in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, in making disciples. He didn't model discipleship by forming a classroom and educating everybody up and saying, once you have reached this level, once you have your MDiv or once you have your PhD, then I'm going to send you out and I want you to make disciples. He said, no. He said, said follow me. And he said that to you. And he's saying that to you today. He's saying, follow me. And let me just pause right here. If you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, you've never decided to follow Jesus. You've, you're not saved, that's Bible words. You haven't been born again. You haven't believed and received Jesus as your Savior. Then you don't have the God, the Holy Spirit. And you're not called to discipleship. You're called to become a disciple. And then you'll be called to make disciple making. But you can do that today. And you will be indwelt and infilled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you too will be called. But to all of us here today, he's saying, follow me. And sometimes we take follow me as um, something that happens at the beginning and that's the way it is. And I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about sanctification for all you scholars out there. I'm talking about the, the process and the journey that God the Holy Spirit carries us on. <clears throat> if you go look at the life of Peter, Jesus told Peter to follow him. And then Peter walked with Jesus and he probably stuck his foot in his mouth almost as many times as he stuck it in his sandal. And he denied Jesus right before the crucifixion. But if you go look it up, you don't have to look it up now, but, but after Jesus rose from the dead and, and Jesus cooked breakfast of fish, by the way, on the beach for his disciples... And Jesus re-engaged and he reconnected with Peter. And go read it. Twice in there he tells Peter, follow me. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, I want you to follow me. I know you've screwed up. I know who you are. I know all the bad parts. I know all the ugly parts. I know all the failures. Follow me. Don't use your failures. Don't use your bad parts to say, but, 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 but he's not calling me. He's calling you, just like he called Peter before he ascended into heaven. Peter even tried to say, but what about John? What about this guy? And Jesus said, don't you worry about John. Don't you worry about anybody else. You worry about you. And here's what I'm telling you, Peter. You follow me. And that's what he's saying to you. No excuses. You're called to ministry whether you get paid or not. Take your shortcomings, insecurities, and pride and give them to the Lord and pursue your calling. Walk with the Holy Spirit in life-on-life -life relationships with others 
and led others into your life because that's how biblical discipleship happens. A biblical, obedient culture of discipleship is a team culture. I probably don't need to foot stomp on this too much because Steve is in the middle of the series on unity. And I've already mentioned the fact that when God the Holy Spirit invades our lives, he also connects us with other people who are indwelt and infilled by God the Holy Spirit. And he connects us into the body of Christ so that Jesus can be seen by the world through us in the way that we love each other. Jesus says that in John in these passages that we've been looking at. Our love is a testimony or a witness or a picture of Jesus to the world. Just like your life is supposed to be a witness and a testimony and a picture of Jesus to the world. But if we compartmentalize that for just Sunday... Or if we say, well, that calling is just fulfilled through didactic teaching. Then we're not doing it the way that Jesus did it. And we're not doing it the way that he called us to do it. And we're not doing it the way that he equipped us to do it. He called us to go get involved, be intentional, and get involved in somebody else's life. I talked to somebody after first service or... More importantly, they talked to me uh, because they were offended. They're the person who said, you just seem angry. You don't seem very loving. You don't seem very caring. And I'm sorry. I apologize if I, I come across this way. So as we talk more about what this person wanted and what they thought, I said, well, tell me how you are connected to other people. Are you in a small group? Well, I used to be, so the answer is no. Are you in any kind of relationship with someone where you are accountable and you are talking about your, your life, your shortcomings, confessing your sin because we are called to confess our sins one to another? And I, 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 meet, I meet with two guys every Wednesday night and... And we had a good time of confession this Wednesday night, didn't we, guys? I've confessed my sins this week to people. Are you in that kind of relationship with anybody where then you're studying the Word and you're going to the Word and then you're leaving and you're applying the Word? And the answer was, well, I used to be, but I'm not. I can't build much of a relationship with you from up here, right? I can be winsome and I can be perky and I can be nice and all of that sort of thing. But I'm not going to do it at the expense of proclaiming truth from God's word. We are to connect with one another life on life. And that means being intentional about doing that. Jesus was intentional about doing that. The other disciples were intentional about doing that. One of the other projects we came up with is we took all of the small group leaders and everybody who's teaching courses and Bible studies in the church and we tried to come up with a framework which we call the discipleship pathway and you have that on your piece of paper <clears throat> and I'm not going to walk through every part of this, okay? But don't be confused by the term pathway and think, well, this is step one and I complete step one and this is step two and I complete step two and this is step three and I complete step three. This is a framework, and this should exist in a growing way for every believer throughout their life. Me, Dennis, you, if you're a believer, this should exist in your life. Now, I would argue that it does begin with connection. It certainly has to begin with connection with Jesus Christ because it's the Holy Spirit who unites us, right? So you need to be connected with Jesus Christ first. And it's God the Holy Spirit who connects and unites us with other believers. But do you interrelate with other believers specifically for the purpose of sharing life? For accountability? For exercising your spiritual gifts? For confessing your sins? 
Are you intentional about that? Are you intentional about the spiritual disciplines and about growth? Because ultimately the way the word knowledge gets used in the New Testament, it's not just getting your PhD in theology. It is knowing Jesus Christ in an intimate and personal way as you walk with him every day in your life. Are you intentional about that? Are you intentional about serving in order to build other people up using your spiritual gifts? Are you intentional about co-laboring, being collaborative? And then you say, well, yeah, but I'm not a leader. I don't have a title around here. Yes, you do. Your title is Disciple Maker, Matthew 28. That's your title. That's my title. That's Dennis's title. That's everybody's title here is Disciple Maker. You are called just as much as Dennis, just as much as me, to share your faith. And when you share your faith, both in word and by your life, you are teaching and guiding others. But you can't do that without connection. And you are called to do that. You are called to get connected, to get involved, to get invested in the lives of somebody else. For the purpose of helping them grow, of building them up in Jesus Christ. In some cases, it's going to be pointing them to the Savior because they're not in a relationship with him in the first place. But it happens through connection. We can't do what we're called to do without embracing the fact that we're all called to minister as individuals and as a group. And I told you before that the Holy Spirit forms the life of Christ in me so that other people can see Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us in the body of Christ so that other people can see Christ. And Jesus said what? He said, if I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Just make me seen. I just need to be seen. And I want to be seen through your individual life. I want to be seen through your body life. I want to be seen. I encourage you to read this upper room discourse in John. Read read chapters 13, 14, 15, 16. See, Jesus says it over and over and over again. You got to be in these relationships. You got to be really expressing love, not gushy, gushy, I love you, brother. Then put some shoe leather on your love because that's what the world's going to see. And that's how the world's going to see Jesus when your love has some shoe leather on it. Get into the sticky, sometimes stinky relationships of life. I keep looking at my guys I meet with here because they get into the sticky, stinky parts of my life. And I get into the sticky, stinky parts of their life. And we laugh and we cry and we, we study God's word ultimately and we pray. Get connected. It's a team culture. And we can't do it without God the Holy Spirit. We need to do it together. On the back of your paper, here are some next steps. You want to start putting shoe leather on things, then here are some things to do. But do it keeping in mind that you want to establish connection. That you want to intentionally grow in both head knowledge and relational knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you want to co-labor with people and serve in love with people. And that you want to be a leader. You want to be a disciple maker. Lastly, a biblical discipleship culture is a multiplying culture. That's what this says, right? Disciples making disciples. When I go down to North Carolina to visit my mother, I go to Summit RDU where J.D. Greer preaches. 
uh, huge, humongous church, great preacher, great music. And they have a, they have a tagline, one of many I've picked up, is, is that we do not judge ourselves by the number of people seated. We, sin, we judge ourselves by the number of people sent. We do not judge ourselves by the number of people seated. We judge ourselves by the number of people sent. We haven't come up with a clever tagline. Maybe Courtney can come up with it. She's better at that sort of thing than me. But the idea is, while numbers aren't the main thing, numbers are important. And because I come from an engineering background, I would argue that any plan that doesn't use metrics isn't a complete plan. I need to ultimately be able to measure, preferably objectively, how I'm doing. What are we doing? And so when we look to the church, we need to be able to measure. It's not, not just about putting people in seats, though. It's about making disciples, right? And I think that's what Summit RDU is saying, really. Because, yes, they've sent over 400 missionaries around the world, which is amazing. Almost 1,000 Compassion Kids supported in that church, which is amazing. But they're looking at what's happening. And do these people fit into the picture of a disciple? And sometimes we do have to look at numbers. Well, let me tell you what happens when you're approaching disciple making from a relational point of view. Here's an evangelist, and he's a great preacher. And he wins one person to Christ every single day of the year. In year one, 365 people. Year 16, 5,840 people who have been led to Christ through this person's preaching. But a relational discipleship culture is disciples making disciples. And so it's a culture of multiplication. And so when two people become disciples and they want to become disciples who make disciples, then it goes 4, 8, 16, 32. And at the end of that same 16 years, you're looking at 65,536 people. How do you think the church got started so fast? Because Jesus and the disciples used a relational model. In fact... I had in my notes here, and I skipped over it, but I'm going to go back to it real quick. <clears throat> Just because I relate to Paul. We picture him as a type A bull in the china shop kind of guy, right? He's not, he, Paul doesn't necessarily give you the warm and fuzzies. At least me, which I'm cool with. Uh, but listen to what it says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you had become very dear to us. Paul followed a relational model. He was a great teacher. He was a great pe preacher. And he probably spat when he talked too sometimes. But for Paul, it was really connecting with people at that personal level as well. Paul followed a relational model. <clears throat> this is what happens when a church follows a relational model where disciples are making disciples. Last slide. <clears throat> Maybe. I just want to make a couple of key points. And I want to make sure that no one misses these points. If you're not saved. If you haven't received Jesus as your savior. Then you do not have God the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You are not a disciple, and you can't make disciples.
because it's by the power of God the Holy Spirit. And I am here today as God's representative conveying a message to you from God and that message is follow me. Today's the day. Today's the day when you can step out of darkness into light. Today is the day when you can step off the road to hell and step onto the road to heaven. Today's the day when you can receive him as your savior. And I would be derelict in my duty if I didn't just point that out and let you know that opportunity is there. And if you're confused about that, man, would I consider it a privilege to talk to you about that and to help you. But right now, he's telling you, follow me. Point number two. Some of you have God the Holy Spirit living in you. But you refuse to surrender your desires, your selfish will, the things that you want to do. I've got my ticket to heaven. But I'm going on cruise control, man. I'm not up here to question anybody's salvation. You can read the Bible. God, the Holy Spirit will convict you. But some of you are saved. And you haven't surrendered. And you're not following. And you haven't been following. And I'll tell you right now, this is an all-in proposition. This is not an either-or proposition. Following Jesus is an all-in proposition. Those guys got up. They left their boats behind. They left their nets behind. They left their business behind. They left their families behind. And they followed him. It's that important. Some of you are consumers. Some of you have become culturally irrelevant or culturally indistinguishable because you leave these four walls and you look just like everybody else. That's not what God the Holy Spirit does. Some of you are callous to your calling. You're called. Dennis is called. I'm called. But over time, you've become callous to that calling. I'm here on behalf of Jesus right now, relaying a message from him, which is, follow me. Okay, maybe you've screwed up. Peter denied him. And what did Jesus say to Peter? After Peter denied him, he said, follow me. Follow me. Confess your sins, repent, dust yourself off, get up and follow him. He's begging you. He's pleading you. And this is what we want our culture to be, is a culture of Jesus followers who are disciples investing in one another's lives. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be disciples making disciples. The musicians are going to come up. We're going to sing a hymn. It's an old song. It'll be okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you now. Are we going to have the words on the screen? Yes, okay. And do you know what number this is in the book? I don't. 376. 376. Take out that gray book out there. I know we don't use that in this service, but take that gray book out in front of you and turn to 376 because I don't want anybody to be blindsided. I'm all about emotional security. <laughs> Believe it or not. Here's what I'm going to tell you, and you may not hear this too often. Don't sing this if you don't mean it. Do not sing this if you don't mean it. Because you'll be fooling around with God. He's calling you to follow Him today. If you mean it, then follow him. If you want to come and talk to me about it, great. If everybody that Jesus called, he called publicly. So if you say, if you're right there now saying, 
yeah, but I've blown it, I've screwed up, and, and I don't want all of these people to know that, and, and, and they know I'm saved, so what's this all about? Don't worry about what people think. Just get up and come up and say, look, Matt, Dennis, I've made a decision. I'm going to follow. I'm going to quit being callous. I'm going to follow. I'm not big on altar calls. What I am big is on changed hearts and decisions. So do business with God.